I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the Para-X Radio Network.
Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, and I'm here with my co-host, the most excellent, the mighty, Jason Kawa. How are you doing, Jason? Doing great, Andrea. How are you doing? Um, crazy busy. <laughs> that seems to be the norm this week, because next week we're going to have an on-air Massive Chaos Baphomet, and I don't have it done yet. But it's almost done. And you don't have a full-time job and family to worry about either. No, I don't. Yes, I do. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. I know. Uh, next week, I think it's next week already, uh, we'll be the Master Cast Bathman next weekend. I'll be in Chicago uh, teaching a class with uh, starting off the new website, too, uh, chicagohoodoo.com. Uh, where we'll be running video classes and full live training in Chicago at Alchemy Arts. Uh, I want to thank Ken, the store owner, again. We're going into a joint business project to do this, and I'll be running the first one on how to set a light and actually taking people how to set a prosperity light, not just talking about it, actually doing it with everyone and showing them how to them do it themselves, which is uh, pretty cool actually you don't see many people showing you how to actually do it yourself and then sit you down and make you do it and get it going you got anything going on jason i'm being lazy right now man i'm waiting until summer to do anything else big well it's 30 degrees outside right now so i don't blame you at least in cleveland you know so <laughs> you can hibernate like the bear not that you are a bear, but you can hibernate like one. I've been accused of being like a bear. I bet you have. <laughs> <laughs> Cuddly, of course. Uh, yeah. So tonight's guest, uh, if you're into New Orleans voodoo, it really needs no introduction. Is uh, priest of a New Orleans voodoo temple. He's written several books. He's just an awesome drummer at many festivals. We started to show off. Uh, with the Bambula, and then switched over to the Order of Service, uh, drumming beat for Legba, for Papa Legba. Uh, all of that was directly from tonight's guest, Louis Martinet. Uh, we ha I've had pleasure on and off through the years to actually work with Louis, and I, I can't say anything bad about him. He's probably the sweetest person I know. Um, you know, from other people who've been on the show, like Jason Miller, uh, through almost anyone who has seemingly in a weird way came to voodoo it's somehow louie has touched their life either they came in contact with louie first and then went the voodoo route or they come into contact and louie just has just the right information for them at the right time uh, and it seems to be pretty consistent that while he might not be the most blockbuster uh, selling Voodoo Assant in New Orleans. He's probably one of the most important in the spiritual lives of so many people that I know and so many people that, that really love him. And without further ado, welcome to the show, Louis. Oh, a pleasure. It's a pleasure, yeah. Yeah, we have seen each other over the years, and uh, very good, very good. So we, we've had numerous uh, occasions to kind of uh, be able to do ritual with you and I mean some people know that uh, I, we do some 
me and Jason love voodoo as well, but maybe we could start people off by just talking about the voodoo spiritual temple and how you got involved in voodoo and how you actually started out, because it's probably been a while since you had to tell that story. <laughs> oh, God, it has been some time. Originally, I think it really came from a sense of, of myself as an outsider, sort of standing outside looking in. Um, my I, It goes all the way back to when I was a kid. Uh, uh, my mother's friends were uh, beats generation and the first album the first record I wanted to get was Allen Ginsberg the uh, the red album and that was I was maybe like 10 years old then 10 or 11 years old so there was always that sense of sort of like standing outside and looking in and that and the whole beat thing with the poetry and the music sort of naturally went toward a, a sort of a uh, spirituality that initially was Western, um, did a lot of work in the Western tradition, and then moved into the uh, Neo-African and the uh, uh, Tibetan. And that, that's sort of like the progression over the years. And with Voodoo, really, I was working uh, as uh, Simcha, uh, which means joy, uh, uh, 353, um, and working with Maggie, uh, Nemo, with the, with the Mott Current. And, you know, people would say, you know, the, the, the spirits, the, the, the Loa have chosen you. They, they want you to contact them. I go, no, no, no. You know, this, that isn't for me. I really, I, I enjoy ceremonial magic, Western ceremonial magic. And then over a time, it's like the presence of the Loa grew on me. Um, and their absolute um, contactability, their, the, the ability that they are right there with you right there with you. There's no wall between you and them. And that grew for me, and um, I have a German name and a French name, and I wanted to work more with the French current that is in myself, you know, in terms of the ancestors. So about 30 years or so ago, I moved to New Orleans, and when I moved here, um, I was working, doing some stuff with Charles in the, the Voodoo Museum and that kind of thing, and Miriam, Priestess Miriam and Ashwan Shamani, Priest Ashwan Shamani, came to town and they were doing a radio program. And I, I went, I, I think I was there with Charles, with the head of the Buddha Museum. And we're sitting out in the audience, and Ashwan Shamani, Priest Ashwan Shamani, was on the air, you know, on the radio program with an anthropologist. And someone must have said to the anthropologist, it's good to be combative. So the anthropologist was sort of irritated, irritated by everything that was saying and combative and, and all of this. And all of a sudden, Ashwan Shamani took out a deck of cards. And you'll appreciate this because this is a radio program. Took out a deck of cards as he was sitting there with the anthropologist on this program and started playing cards, started playing solitaire, which completely led to this massive amount of dead air on the part of the anthropologist and the and the person that had the program because he's sitting there playing solitaire, you know? And uh, the, the, the announcer, the, the program moderator said, uh, well, what is the first mystery? What is the first mystery? And the anthropologist said, you know, the mystery of death. Everybody tries to understand death, what death is. And Ashwan is sitting there playing cards, laying out these cards, playing solitaire. And he just looks over at the anthropologist. He says, maybe not, maybe birth. 
And I went, wow, this is tremendous. This is someone that I want to meet. So at that point, I was working on the uh, New Orleans Voodoo Tarot. I met him, and I met Priestess Miriam, spent a lot of time at the temple, which was on Rampart Street across the street from Congo Square, and at a certain point, we moved down the street, and one of my favorite memories of Oshawan, because he has passed since then, one of my favorite memories of him is with the Porto Matan, the center pole. We transported, he and I took it down the street in a little red wagon. We had it sitting in this little red wagon, and he's pulling the wagon, and I'm holding it upright and pushing on the back so we can get it down from uh, uh, down the street to another location for the temple. So that that is that's pretty much the progression there, you know. And it is really important to me that within the cells that I develop, that, that you've got that you've got the, the the voodoo current, you've got the Tibetan current, and you've got the Western ceremonial current. And the 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 mix of those is so heady to me. So that that that's pretty much it. Well, one of the things that uh, you know. It's an older book, but one of the things we saw, like in in Waters of Return, which is a little older, it's kind of now hard to actually hard to find that book. Uh-huh. Um, was the synchronization with the the Thelemic currents and the Loa? Yeah, that, that is a bit. Yeah, that is a big one. Yeah, that is a that is something that's really really important to me too. That idea of the idea and the reality of a Thelemic nation of Loa. Okay, so what do you mean when you say Thelemic nation? That with New Orleans Voodoo initially, what we have is like a a, a coming together of of Christian thought and and the Voodoo thought, Mm -hmm. and that gives a real flavor. I think a really real individual flavor to New Orleans Voodoo, and I saw over the years as I was working that. If the Christian current is being um, replaced by a Thelemic current, then it is very possible that that the uh, Thelemic deities would syncretize with the Voodoo deities as the Christian deities have syncretized. So you get something like again that 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 uh, Marasa Baphomet, or or a uh, um, a. Uh, combination of those two currents and the power that comes from that. I remember it was a Starwood about 19, maybe 95, right around in there when I first started talking about a Thelemic nation of Loa. And a, uh, a whirlwind, a little whirlwind came up, you know, where we were sitting and where we were doing the session. And I thought, this is just yeah. beautiful. This is, a, this is a beautiful confirmation. Because I think in many ways, the Thelemic Loa or the Thelemic uh, deities, they have that, that kind of whirlwind, that kind of uh, spiral quality to them. So I just, uh, you know, the, 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 the idea and the reality of the Thelemic nation of Loa is something really close to my soul, and it's something that the ancestors will decide. You know, in the next 100, 150 years, it's, it's, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. So what was your first move in that direction? Was it the Baphomet-Marasa combination, or did it start with something else? Yeah, if I remember correctly, I was, in terms of ceremonial magic, of course, I was very committed to Thelema. Uh I viewed Crowley as an ancestor, 
um, had some wonderful communications with him. And when the voodoo um, current started to take uh, presence within me, take a presence within me, it was just sort of natural that the two of them come together. And say with Marasa Baphomet, that that, that um, Marasa being a, I don't know, a, a force that has the power of Maloa, but it's in some ways greater. It, it's, it's duality, it's, it's, it's the self and other. It's, it's the male and female, it's, it's all of that coming together. And uh, Baphomet, you know, the, 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 the nobility, the strength, the power of Baphomet, uh, that being united with this very primal uh, force that is the Marasa, is the twins, um, just, just took hold in my soul, took hold in my soul in, 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 and uh, expressed itself passionately in my mind. So we've we've talked about Baphomet a lot on this show, okay? Mm-hmm. So, but the Marasa, let me uh, get you to expound on that a little bit because a lot of we're familiar with the Marasa, but a lot of our listeners are not. Okay, it it it. it some people see the Marasa. Marasa is, is literally twins. It's the twins in terms of our of our practice. I personally believe that it is from Mar and Asi, Marasi or the Sea of Asia. Marasi, the Sea of Asia, that the first enslaved um, Africans that were brought to the New World were right around the time of Columbus. And everyone thought that they were in Asia, that the Gulf of Mexico was the Sea of Asia. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that is something that came up. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was talking about Marasi to a linguist, and he said, well, that, that's like, it was a long time ago, I said, that's Marasi, that, that's the Sea of Asia. Um, it's similar to the Abishi in terms of the African, the original African, the twins. And it is a force that, it is duality in and of itself. It's, it's that sense of we are divided for love's sake. We are divided for love's sake, for the, for the chance of union. And all of the beauty that can come from that, and all of the confusion that can come from that. So it is a very primal, very primary kind of force is I believe in in Western you know ceremonial magic that uh, Baphomet is a very primal, very uh, um, um, union of male and female kind of force. So it just was natural to me that if there is a Thelemic nation of Loa building itself, that Marasa would be a family. The Marasa would be a type of a type of family. As there would be Legbas, as there would be Arzulis. There'd be Marasa, and Marasa Baphomet would be a uh, a natural, because you've got with Voodoo, you've got Marasa as this very very primal force, and in Western ceremonial magic, uh, Baphomet stands as this very primal force. That's a very good correlation. Now, interesting side effect that we've seen working with the Marasa is the Marasa tend to multiply things. Mm-hmm. So when you take that force of multiplicity and you throw it in there with Baphomet, another very powerful, chaotic, primal force. I that, I can only imagine. You have to tell us about this ritual because it has to be off the hook. Oh, man, you've got it. Yeah. Yeah, you've got it. Yeah, that that is the sense of it. That is really the sense of it. You know, and uh, um, I guess the first ritual to Marasa Baphomet was done uh, in a loft, maybe 20, 30 people, 
And I remember one of the children there was like, was like, it was so cool because about halfway through the ritual, he, it, was a, it was a small girl and she put her, she put her coat on backwards and she put, she put coins in each of her eyes and she came up to me and slapped a coin in one of my eyes. <laughs> and, she, they, they, yeah, and I thought, wow, we have got some real power going here. Some very, very, very <laughs> strong power. That so sounds, sounds just like the Marasa. Yep. Yeah, the children, the Marasa, the children, you know, that, that, the, the feast of the Marasa, the Maj Marasa, the Phoebe to the Marasa, right around Christmas. Yep. Uh, again, that's syncretism, syncretism with the, or, or combination with the, with the Christian. And there's uh, uh, a real beauty to that, real, real beauty. So you know now, Louie, Jason's going to come up to my house and be like, let me see this ritual in this book. Let's do it this weekend. And it'll be like the next time he comes up in the house, he'll be like... You'd be like, all right, let's do it, let's do it. It's like, you know, and to look at that, that, that book was written around 1980, I guess came out around 1984, 1986, right around in there. So your experience, particularly your experience, and Jason's experience, you know, in doing that ritual would add so much more to it, and uh, and I would be, I would definitely be interested in, in hearing about it. All right, very so good. Now, see, all, all you innovative chaos magicians out there, you think you're all cool. <laughs> look what Louie was doing, like, back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a uh, Owen Knight. Uh, Owen Knight is one of my teachers. And uh, he was down here. He just, with Black Moon Publishing, we just did a book by him on the Arthurian uh, mysteries. And we got in town. I was out of town. And we got in town. at about 4 o'clock in the morning. And there he is, you know. 85 years old, stayed at my house. He stayed up so they could help us move stuff in. Cool. You know, and he's carrying stuff in. And, and Michelin Linden, my companion, he had to say to him, Owen, calm down and go to sleep. <laughs> so there is a longevity to this, and there is a beauty to having practiced for so long. You know, and I, I can see that in Owen. I can see that in Owen. I did, and I'm starting to develop a, a bit of it myself, and I'm very happy about that. Everyone would consider you kind of an elder. That you're an awesome teacher. That uh, you know. You know, and the position of elder is such such a a rare and and a fine position. It's like I remember in the '60s. You know, when I started practicing, uh, it was very unusual to find someone who um, had been practicing for over like ten ten years. Ten years was a long time, a real long time they have been practicing. You know, and now it's like we can go to Starwood, like like that last Starwood that, that you and I were at, and you run into so many people who say, oh, my father, my mother were Wiccan, were Thelemic, or this, or, or that. And that is a real sense of continuity in terms of the community. Yeah, that is a more recent occurrence, and even more recent is that the children being raised now are not being raised with the kind of limitations that I think many of us struggle with. Yeah, yeah, they, re they really are not. They really are not. Uh, it's a whole different world, an entirely different world, you know. I am, part of what I'm doing, you know, because as an elder, it's like, it's like the idea of death is very much with me, you know, and, and, and it's a frightening and sometimes an exciting idea. And what I'd like to do is be incarnated around old 19, 
1913. 1913 as a, um, as a uh, voodooist in New Orleans. So with Facebook and that kind of thing, when I put my magical record up, I always date it a uh, uh, hundred years in the past. Ah, see. Yeah, you know, and it, 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 it's a, it is, I mean, we talk about, about chaos magic and, and all of the new discoveries in terms of physics and that. I just think it, it is so exciting and so malleable that um, I would enjoy being incarnated. Not so much in the future as, as in the past. Move back there. Because then, then I'll, I will um, be able to influence myself as I exist now also. Well, you know something, that's, that's an awesome idea, Louie, because, okay, we, we talked about time magic not too long ago on the show, uh-huh. and that's an innovative idea that I have not heard many people talk about, the whole idea of trying to be reincarnated into the past rather than the future, right? Yeah, 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 and it just, it, it has a, a solidity to it for me, it has a reality to it for me, and... And, you know what is what is so cool is to me what is so cool to me is that in putting the uh, magical records up as 1913, it next would be 1914. Um, they go onto Google as 1913 and 1914. So in a way, I'm casting Louis Mortney back into that time period because those, those records on Google will be around for a long time, and anyone that looks up Louis Mortney is going to find. Um, 1913, rather than 2013, in terms of the magical record. Very cool. That is true. They, and you can't, no one will know unless they were there. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, time magic, the idea of using time, the, the, it, it is uh, very, very exciting to me. Time, space, uh, magic, the magic of it, the, the, um, the presence, I guess, really think the presence of the Loa, that they, they, in terms of time and space, they are right there with me. You know, moment to moment to moment, um, there's, not, there's not that distance. And uh, I enjoy that immensely. Very, very cool. So, one of the things that I first got I have the real old version, and I have the new version, too, was the uh-huh. actual order of service and how you go about how the New Orleans Temple, uh, the order that you guys call different uh, Lua in. And if anyone listening, you should buy this book. Seriously, it'll be on deeper down the rabbit hole. It, it really gives you the steps to go through and do your own New Orleans service. But maybe you could talk about the order of service and how the energies get birthed when you're in a, new, uh, in a voodoo ceremony. Yeah, you know, it, the order of service developed over about, oh, maybe 10 years, uh, 7 to 10 years of open rituals that we did right before uh, the year 2000 at the Voodoo Spiritual Temple. Every Thursday night was an open ritual. And like any, it, 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 attendance would go anywhere from 5 to 50 people um, or more. You know, at the rituals themselves, we hit them out in the courtyard. And over that period, like with any, any, I think any house that has longevity to it, it's going to, it's going to develop its own traditions and its own. What we developed was this um, order of service. What developed was this order of service. That again is based on birth. That that is an honor to um, 
uh, the Hongan, the, the, the priest, um, Ashwan Shumani, you know, in that radio program, where he says that it's not death, death is not the first mystery, birth is the first mystery. And the order of service begins like as you were playing, the Bambula, you know, and that, that, that sort of like allows people to come in and to realize that they're in a temple, to set themselves, to set themselves to what they're doing. And then, um, as it's developed, it, it goes into Legba, uh, opening of the gate. And the gate here would be the vagina. And the birth waters start to flow. Um, it, it's a, sort of a funny story. It's like, it's like many waters is there. And there was a ritual up north that I was at with, uh, Priestess Miriam. And Priestess Miriam, um, came out as I was working with the drummers right before the ritual. And her dress was all torn. And I thought, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> and uh, Mamie Waters had come into her, and what Priestess Miriam said was that um, without, uh, if, if Mamie Waters doesn't open her legs, he just has to go and get a little drink himself. Yeah, he might just get his little drink and go home. So Mamie Waters wanted to be honored first. So, you know, however it works, in, you know, in terms of the group honoring Legba or Mamie Waters, but it's that Legba opens the gate, uh, the waters start to flow. They're the waters of birth. You know, at that point, you've got protection coming in in terms of the uh, Oguns. And there you've got uh, Ogun Balandio, or the, the healer, you know, protecting from that standpoint. And uh, Ani Christmas, which is a uh, New Orleans loa. And Ani, Ani Christmas is like the strong woman. And one of the strongest, I mean, to communicate the presence of Ani Christmas, um, I was up on Magazine Street in a uh, sort of a deserted area, this was years ago, and there was a pack of wild dogs, and there was a group of women walking down the street with, with uh, babies, and the dogs saw the women, and the women saw the dogs, and I thought, uh-oh, here we go, and the dogs started going toward the women, growling. And the women just got together, gave their babies to two or three people, picked up rocks and sticks and just charged the dogs, screaming. And the dogs ran. And that kind of energy is, is Ani Christmas. There you've got Ogumbalandio and Ani Christmas bringing that in. And then, then you've got an honoring of the, of the, of the dead. You've got the, uh, the gay days and the barons. And this is when the actual birth takes place in that the sense is that birth and death are two sides of the same coin. It is really the same thing. Really the same thing. And so, Louis... Got... No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that in, uh, no, in in the Haitian tradition, the gay day are always honored last in order. So is this true in New Orleans, too, or is there a slight difference? Then again, it's like there's the Haitian tradition, there's the African tradition, I think there's the Niagara tradition now. There's all these traditions, and, and that is the beauty of it to me. And the beauty of New Orleans voodoo to me is that no one, no one can speak for it. You know, I've been practicing, you know, decades here, and I can't speak for it, and other people have been practicing decades, cannot speak for it. It is, to me, the wild child of all the different types of voodoo. It, it is the one most apt to, say again, going back to what we were talking before, the Flemish nation of Loa, 
if the Salemic Nation of Loa is to be birthed on a large scale, I believe it would be through New Orleans voodoo or something like New Orleans voodoo. And I love it. I mean, I am just so excited, too, that there is this movement to sort of not use the term New Orleans voodoo, but to use Louisiana voodoo. Because that makes us even more of a wild child. Mm, so, okay. So anyway, you know, so, but, I mean, what you've got there is like, like all of these different traditions that work with the law in different ways. And, um, yeah, it would differ from the Haitian, which would differ from the African. We had the uh, uh, Dagba Hunan, who was head of the African, who is, I guess, unless he is fast, he's still from Waito, head of the African tradition. And he spent a lot of time at the temple. And I got to spend a good amount of time with him. And uh, it, it was uh, very, very unique because, uh, you know, in the effort, again, this, this is not New Orleans voodoo, this is African voodoo as opposed to Haitian voodoo, and that, that he, was, he was raised as both male and female. And uh, um, he was taken from the parents. Uh, the priest would parade through Wado, and if they'd see a child that was, uh, they'd usually have people running ahead going, oh my God, the priests are on the road, you know, hide. You know, if they see a child that was a, uh, a likely candidate, that child would be taken into the temple and raised as a priest. Um, and Doug Bohlanon was raised as male and female, very, very big, big person. And I was the only uh, uh, Caucasian there, the only white person there. And he was going around hugging people, and I thought, I wonder if he'll hug me. And he, he came up, and he just, big smile on his face, you know, open arms, gave me the biggest hug. So you've got like like all these different traditions, and it's going to differ from the Haitian. And I don't think there's. I know that uh, people initiated in Africa, Africa go. Well, I've got the true initiation. I was initiated in Africa. I was initiated in Waito. People and and people in Haiti go. I've got the true initiation. People initiated or confirmed in New Orleans go. Well, this is the real thing. I think I would go back to again. What one of my teachers told me that I would go back to what the ancestors say that that. Um, Whatever works is the true thing. So we have we have the uh, the, the the dead coming in then, and then after that there's the Yon uh, uh, which is unrecognizable to a Haitian. It's a different kind of Yon Valu. So New Orleans huh. drumming, yeah, New Orleans drumming. The way we have it showed up at the temple, and I've seen it showed up show up at other spiritual houses in New Orleans, is syncopated rather than polyrhythmic. I mean, you listen to the second line rhythm. I move right across the street from Congo Square. Now, this is, this is where that syncopation developed. Came into American music, jazz, and, and, uh, what's his name? Ernie Kendo, one of, one of the, the, the old, the musicians that, of course, he's passed, you know, and, and he said, he said, well, I, I think all music came from New Orleans. You know, I remember that, that quote from him. And we're right across the street from Congo Square, and all American music, and with that syncopation, really began in Congo Square. So the rhythms that we play to the loa that are connected to the soil here, connected to the soil in New Orleans, a part of the soil, soil in New Orleans, are, are syncopated rather than polyrhythmic. And the order of service would differ, hopefully, hopefully it would differ from voodoo practice anyplace else. And to say that one form is more correct than another, um, I don't think really carries a lot of weight. You could say that one form is more effective for you than another. You know, someone may be more attuned to the, the African voodoo, the voodoo that comes from Wado, um, with all its very, very strict traditionalism and um, um, lifetime commitment, uh, or the Haitian, 
or uh, Niagara or um, um, New Orleans voodoo. And there's probably a variant New, uh, uh, New York voodoo or, or, or a Cleveland voodoo. I, I think that's the lower, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Cleveland voodoo that we do at our, through our house. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. If the Lawal don't come through and start slapping you around, you're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you know, I, one, thing, one thing I know about Cleveland, someone said that the river, Cuyahoga River, caught fire at one point. It did. What a marvelous sight. What an inspiring fight! What 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 a a, a a birthing of a force! The water is burning. You know, that in itself is, um, I, I think, worthy of a of a, a, a sense of awe. You know, awful, awful, awe-inspiring, full of awe. You know, and that in itself could inform a type of a of voodoo. And, and part of the, the second thing that people don't realize is that. Uh, Lake Erie is the most deadly of the Great Lakes. It has the most people who drown every year as a second thing oh in Cleveland. God. Yes, because yeah, uh, it's the shallowest of the Great Lakes, and it kicks up the worst because of that. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, I remember songs, hearing songs about Lake Erie and the wrecks on it. and We have that with Pontchartrain here. In Pontchartrain, there are holes that go down the earth, and no one really knows where they go to. And uh, Mission and Linden... Uh, my companion really holds that they are uh, abodes for spirits, and they're abodes for hungry spirits. So people will well, disappear. It's not like you're like Pasha train down here. Yeah, I think you know that that yeah, I think you know going back to what we were talking about before, like the, the, the different the variants on voodoo. That that is part of a, a big part of of what excites me about. Um, voodoo is that you make contact with the boa, you know, and once you have that contact, they pretty much tell you what to do, and there's no way of, of giving that or taking that contact away. That's something that you hold with the loa. You know, I guess in comparing New Orleans voodoo too to African voodoo, African voodoo is a little bit more like the Roman Catholic Church, where you've got this very strict uh, uh, hierarchy in Wado. And uh, which I which I respect greatly, and, and um, it, my birthday is January tenth, and it turns out that that uh, uh, as I found out when Doc Bohanan was down here, that January tenth is like like the day Voodoo Day in Benin. That is the day when Voodoo is celebrated. And I thought that's really cool. Um, so I, I try to tremendous respect for African Voodoo. I think it's more like Roman Catholicism, and we're more like uh, uh, Luther, particularly when he first began with Protestantism, when he pushed like. It is the individual's relationship with God that is important. What we would say it is, what I would say is, it's the individual's relationship with the Lord that is important. That is what is built upon. And other people can help you. You know, Miriam can be of great help. Priest Miriam can be of great help. The priests and priestesses can be of great help. And what it gets down to in the end is that, that individual relationship. And what is told to you, what is said to you in terms of the practices. Well, see, the funny thing is, it, it it just seems to me that voodoo is a religion of self-discovery because it's about your personal relationships with the spirits, and that, uh, that breaks up to your individual house and how your house relates to the spirits, uh, because no yeah. two houses seem to relate exactly the same, but yet there are right. similarities. Yes. Yes. The whole, the whole um, reality of the master of the head, 
you know, the, the, the beauty of that, that, that this isn't something standing outside of yourselves. Um, this is something very um, in contact, very internal, very like right on a razor's edge between other and self. And if you know the master of your head, you know, you know, who you are, all the selves, and you know, like, what you do best in terms of an occupation, what you do best in terms of a relationship. It's like the, uh, the master of my head is, is Blanc Denis, and Blanc Denis walks with Obatala. Um, and uh, knowing that, you know, has just been such a help to me in all areas of my life. It certainly tells you what to watch out for and what your strengths are a lot of the time. Yes. 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 You know, and, 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 and so many people um, say come to the temple, or I'm sure come to your house too, you know, in confusion. You know, and to know one's own strengths. To know, well, do what thou wilt. Again, this is getting back to uh, 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 Western ceremonial magic, the polemic, the uh, Mr. Crowley. Do what thou wilt. Know your will. Know yourself, and voodoo is such such a, a big help in terms of doing that because it is so present. The loa are so present. The loa are right there, and really, in just about everything that I've written, I've tried to communicate that. And Denny Sargent, who's a, um, a writer in with Horace Mott Lodge, um, just I got an email from him, and he said that uh, he said one of the things that he likes about what I write is that it brings the reader into the presence of the Loa, where they can establish a relationship. And I went, oh my God, you know, that, that is so beautiful. And I really thanked him, and I thought that is, uh, um, if someone were to like sort of sum up the books that I've written, the articles and that, that is a, a beautiful way to sum it up. You know, if I can like create that, that, that relationship with the Loa, where the person can just use that and just fly off of it, you know, and create with it, uh, the creation, that idea of creation. Again, that gets back to the beats, you know, that, that being creative is so important, being a writer, a musician, a magician, an occultist, a worker, to do conjure, you know, to do that kind of creation is just so important, that they contact the Loa, that the Loa's right there, and they work with it and come up with something new. I think that's what Crowley wanted to do with the Lama, is something something new people to come up with the new you know one of the famous quotes from mr crowley is if you don't like my system make your own absolutely that is so perfect you know i i you know the only way i would modify that is if at any point i'm identified with a system is if you like my system make your own <laughs> there you go even if you well, like my system, you make, like your my own. system make your own in maggie uh nima we we've published a lot of books by maggie by nima and she and I have known each other since the early, oh, Lord, probably the late uh, 1960s. Um, uh, one of her, one of the best thoughts, I think, that has come from her is, is, is any true system self-destructs. You know, that once you have mastered it, it goes into something else. It self-destructs. And it grows, you know, grows into something else. It becomes something new. It's very well, interesting. It, it seems like everything evolves in some way, shape, or form over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess that, that, that's 
part of, you know, with the Tibetans, uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to spend a year with the, the elder brother of the Dalai Lama, and I learned a tremendous amount from them. That, that's when I stopped doing animal sacrifice. Um, and they are very much committed to maintaining um, a tradition, to maintaining a, a teaching, a uh, um, God, I, that, that, uh, uh, Mr. Gorbu, um, who was a spiritual preacher, I'm honored to have him as a spiritual friend. He called when um, he gave the wrong pronunciation of a mantra. And uh, I remember he goes, oh my God, this is the other brother of the Dalai Lama calling. And he just called to say, well, I think I gave you the wrong words. He's so interested in like keeping the tradition going. And I see the value of that and the beauty in that. And really in terms of this incarnation and who I am now, I would throw my weight with the, uh, the generation of the new things that are changing, things that are evolving into something else. Well, it's kind of interesting because if you really look at the, you know, the, the talking to God with food book, which again, if you, everyone listening, you should go out and buy that right now. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you actually talk about how that Tibetan experience actually, like the Thelema, kind of gelled with the voodoo and mm -hmm. transformed your personal voodoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at, at, at that point, I had a teacher named Coco, and uh, I remember him calling and going. This was maybe, oh, I don't know, the late 70s, something like that, saying, uh, there's this thing called red palm oil, and you've got to try it. It's just amazing. And um, just excited, uh, just beside himself in terms of talking about it. And I gave it a try. And looked at it, and I thought, wow, this has all the power, you know, of using uh, uh, blood sacrifice. And at that point, it was still before I had made the contact with the Tibetans, and I was still doing blood sacrifice and using red palm oil, both together. And now, I'll still, I'll, you know, I'll still use my own blood or the blood of, of, uh, of a person that's willing Um but in terms of like sacrificing an animal, because it's very uh, iffy, I think, if, it, if, it, if they have an animal give a scent, and the, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I will use red palm oil. I will use red to good effect, to very, very good effect. So metaphysically speaking, you're saying the red palm oil has a very uh, similar energetic quality to blood. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the thing is to get you know, a container with red palm oil in. And it's, of course, it's very easy to get. It's best to get it, uh, what is it called? I, I'm not sure of the economic term, but I think it's called free market or something like that. That it, that it's, because it's, uh, uh, a lot of places are being deforested getting it. You know, and a lot of people are being um, exploited in terms of getting certain brands of red palm oil. But get one that is, it doesn't, doesn't include that kind of exploitation. Right. And put it in a vial. And put it in a vial. And I use a I use a mirror a lot. I love uh, magic, mirror magics. You know, and I've got a, a, an old, old ancient New Orleans mirror that I use. You know, here at the temple, at the, at the house temple for workings. And you know, to get 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 a bottle of the red palm oil, sit in front of a mirror. You know, and use the lighting that you want. You know, and just stare at it. Stare at it as it exists in front of you, and as it exists in the mirror itself. And just see what it says to you. 
and see if it has that same energetic or life quality that blood has, the ability to give life, to feed. And if it does, then, then use it. Yeah. And if it doesn't, well, then it doesn't. Nice. So, animal sacrifice is a controversial topic, obviously, with many people with many different opinions. Um, are you kind of a trendsetter in New Orleans? Is is the uh, to-go yeah. still to so use blood sacrifice? Yeah, it is so individual in New Orleans that it, it's hard to talk about trends. You know, you will have certain people that um, all speak as if they represent New Orleans, or get a lot of press at a particular time, then that press sort of goes away and someone else comes up. Uh, the reality of it is is that you've got a city that, oh, what was it, the football team, the New Orleans Voodoo. You've got a, one of the major major music festivals is Voodoo Fest up at uh, up in City Park. Um, you've got like the, uh, um, it, it is so, Voodoo is so ingrained into the culture of the city and the city itself is so, eccentric and idiosyncratic that the voodoo that develops here, you know, it's almost impossible to talk about a trend. So you've got like such a spread of practice. And I'm sure that, you know, that people continue with animal sacrifice. Some people use red palm oil. Some people work some other ways, other ways. And uh, um, they're all a part of New Orleans voodoo that, that no one can really speak from no one can speak for New Orleans voodoo and everybody can speak from New Orleans voodoo from the standpoint of New Orleans voodoo because that individual voice is is so valued so there's yeah there's there's a whole continuum the whole continuum you know and you know really with the Tibetans in terms of animal sacrifice you know because I always say you know I I offer sacrifices, you know, I, I offer animals and sacrifice. And not, none of the Tibetans have said that was wrong. None of the Tibetans, none of the tantrics said that was wrong. They just simply said, um, maybe there's a way that could cause less harm. Maybe there's a way that maybe that, that there's a way that could be more benefit to more, um, more beings. You know, and it finally sort of got through to me at one point where, this was Mr. Norba, this was, this was the Dalai Lama's older brother. He kept on saying to me, um, kind mothers, kind mothers, and didn't really elaborate on that, because the, the, the tantrics have a way of doing that. They don't elaborate a whole lot. They just repeat something over and over and over. And a lot of times when you ask questions, you're supposed to repeat the same question over and over and over to your teacher. You would say, kind mothers, kind mothers. And then it finally got through to me that every animal that I sacrificed was at one point my mother. And if I was using that animal as a scapegoat to take on some current, that I was doing that to my mother. Does the tantrics believe that, uh, that um, the incarnations are eternal? They, they've always been and we always will be incarnated, and they are absolutely eternal and absolutely a, uh, a mirage, a, uh, um, not real. And they are eternal. So every being that I come in contact with has at one time, and my mother has at one time shown me the same kindness as Charlotte, my mother in this life, um, showed me. And now, how see, this is a fun idea. So yeah, what you're you know, what you're saying, Louis, is that there there actually is a belief system in that system that says incarnations are timeless and interwoven. 
Yeah, it, it, and you have always been incarnated and always will be incarnated. And it is an illusion. I mean, in the West, that was one of the most mind-blowing things that I got from spending that year with, with um, Tibetans, is that when we speak of illusion, we speak of uh, um, some sort of stuck in a small moment of time. The something can be illusionary and be eternal. And I do believe that probably on other levels there is something that is outside of eternity, but I have no knowledge of that at all at this point. Oh, so, certainly. You know, Wouldn't we all like that? Yeah, the main thing there is that, that you know, that how dishonorable it would be for me knowing that to um, sacrifice my mother for something, sacrifice a being that had been my mother for something. So that is when I started using Rio uh, Palmolo exclusively. And I was lucky because, you know, decades before that, before that uh, that realization, um, I was put in contact with Red Palmola by a Coco. Very cool. It kind of fell yeah. together. Yeah, it really did. And I guess that's, uh, uh, you know, one of the tests, you know, of, 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 a, of a system, how well it's working, how things fall together, that, that, that synchronicity, the way things come together. So we got about seven minutes left. Do you got anything coming up? Ah, uh, well, right now, one of the things that's most real for me is something I heard from Michelle Linden, from my companion, and it was just, this was just last night. She said to me, you know, whatever you're doing now is um, your path to awakening your path to becoming part of a larger life. Whatever I am doing right now is part of that path to awakening. And you know, that that really struck me. And that, that um, a magician named Zane, who um, uh, Michelle and I are, are, are polyamore, and he, is, he was her lover, and he has passed uh, in the last month. And I was at his cremation, and the rituals that attended that, attended the burning. And I looked at him, and I, there was sadness in me, but, you know, I realized the sadness was for my missing who we being able to be together with him physically. Mm-hmm. And I looked, I, looked at his, I looked into his face, and he was lying there um, next to a, uh, a hollow log. And... Um, what came to me was what we what we have, what he and I have. Uh, he has no beginning, he has no end. It can't be lost, and it can't be found. So that idea of holding on to, and this gets back to the tantrics, to the Tibetans, holding on to that which has a, 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 a staying power to it, that if I can't hold on to my own body, how can I try to hold on to someone else's body? And saying that was one of his last teachings to me, you know. And I'm sure there'll be some in the future, but that was, that was the last one so far. Um, and that uh, in terms of the future, I hope it is as beautiful and creative as the present. Well, very, very cool. Very cool. We actually hope that uh, we can all work with you again. <laughs> 
Oh my God! Yes, yeah, Starwood. It, yeah, it, it, it was such it's such a pleasure working with you and working with your group and uh, um, being there, having that time together. And we may, I mean, I, 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 you know, I had said earlier, I may be going to. It looks like I'm probably going to to London and, and to Ireland the summer to do or do sessions and things like that, to do rituals and things like that. And if that happens, I won't be at Starwood or Babylon Rising. And I should know in a little bit, but if I do do that, I will enjoy it tremendously and I will miss seeing you. Yeah, I will. I'll probably, you know what, maybe I'll beg the people at uh, Griffin's Nest to let me present them. Yeah, we may just have to chase you down to New Orleans. Yeah, maybe I'll just beg the people at Griffin's Nest. Let me come in and present so I can hang out with Louie. <laughs> ah, it be wonderful, yes. <laughs> so, uh, to end with, uh, since we started out with the uh, Bambula, and then I played the uh, the, the Legba drum rhythm, uh, we're going to take the show on out with the Ancestors and the Dead Rhythm. I thought that wonderful. would be appropriate and we'd love to have you back on the show um, thank you because i mean we we truly do respect you and love you so we would love to have you back on and see you again in person sometime so great and i, I try not to say hello or goodbye i just try to say blessings there, all the yeah yeah no, no, no goodbye blessings 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 thank you um <laughs> We'll call you right back after the show because I know that there's about five minutes or three minutes or so of the drum beat. So we'll call you. We'll call you right back. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks and, again uh, for coming on. To you and all the listeners. Okay.